0: Well, only ask a question if you know the answer and only stage in a government inquiry if you already know the outcome. They might be old rules in Australian politics, but they are the opposite of true scientific inquiry. Inquiry in which hopefully the inquirer might often be genuinely surprised, maybe even shocked by the results of her inquiry. Andrew Lee is both a politician, he's Labour's shadow assistant treasurer, and a former professor of economics at the Australian National University. His new book, Random Nisters, is all about those brave researchers who asked a question without knowing the answer. And he joins us in the studio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Richard. You, you start with scurvy and the, the horrors of scurvy at a time when the Navy just didn't know what to do about it.
1: It was a terrifying disease. It was only through researching the book, Richard, that I realised that the number of people who died to scurvy was about 70 times larger than the number of people who died in battles. Uh, and the... two, two million people in the age of sail, two
0: million sailors died of scurvy.
1: It, it's astonishing. And scurvy is such a brutally awful disease. There's these tales of some of the old sailors who discovered as scurvy ravaged their body, their old war wounds opening up again. It digs into the body's connective tissues. And in some cases, sailors uh, died of it. In other cases, the boat was shipwrecked for too few sailors and those aboard were too weak to swim ashore. So getting a solution to scurvy was absolutely vital, say, if you wanted to sail, I don't know, from Britain to Australia.
0: Okay, there's a guy, though, called James Lind is his name. And in 1747, he kind of works it out. It takes him a while, but he eventually publishes a book which says, look, oranges and lemons, they're the answer.
1: It's a very simple randomised trial. He takes 12 sailors, as similar as I could have them, as he puts it, and gives them a variety of different treatments. Uh, some have vinegar, some have sulfuric acid. Uh, an unfortunate pair are forced to drink seawater and uh, a pair have oranges and lemons. And the oranges and lemons uh, immediately revive the, uh, the ill sailors and uh, ultimately become the way in which scurvy is tackled through the British Navy. It takes, a, it takes a while. This is, this is 1747, Uh, Cook
0: and Philip don't do too badly with scurvy first time round. Second fleet, though, coming to Sydney, Mm. that that loses about a third of the inhabitants and a third of the passengers.
1: It is a reminder that propagating the results of good evidence is half the battle there. And so, uh, so some of those later, uh, even British naval expeditions don't get it right. But by the time the, the Battle of Trafalgar comes around in 1805, uh, the British have, have cracked the solution to scurvy. They've got uh, citrus fruit on board. Uh, the French and the Spanish don't. Uh, and one of the major reasons that Nelson is ma- able to uh, win the Battle of Traf- Trafalgar and the, uh, the blockade that surrounds it uh, is because the British Navy has tackled scurvy. And indeed, if it had been a French, Spanish or Portuguese randomised trial... Perhaps we would be having this conversation in one of those languages today.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, this randomised trial done in 1747 by James Lind wins the Battle of Trafalgar, in in a way. (laughs) It's it's your way of setting up this whole idea of randomised trials and how they are the way that we rationally test whether our assumptions are true.
1: Absolutely. It's simply the challenge of having a credible comparison group. Uh, So if you're, uh, for example, uh, using uh, the internet today, you've probably been part of what the marketers would call A-B testing, uh, randomly being uh, given up a a different splash page uh, than the uh, other people that are using the internet. Uh, The particular shade of blue that Google uses for its search bar was chosen through a randomised trial run by then Vice President Marissa Mayer. Uh, Netflix's algorithm that chooses what to serve you up next is uh, chosen by a randomised trial.
0: In other words, they tried various methods and they saw which one got the best result.
1: Precisely. Uh, And it's not just uh, uh, nefarious marketers that are doing this, it's also uh, those who are looking to improve our healthcare system. Uh, The cessation of bloodletting in the early 1800s occurs thanks to a randomised trial. Uh, and indeed, randomised trials can sometimes rule out things that might otherwise look promising. Uh, when the drug thalidomide is, uh, is, is brought, brought out and pushed very hard by its manufacturer, uh, many European countries are willing to immediately al- allow pregnant mothers to take it. Uh, but a woman by the name of Frances Kelsey in the U.S. Food and Dr- Drug Administration says, no, we need high-quality evidence. We need randomised trials. American mothers don't get thalidomide and don't get the awful con- consequences, the birth defects that you see elsewhere.
0: Well, because of a randomised trial, we're talking about, to Andrew Lee about his new book, Rampton Nisters. It's really a, a book in praise of, of these random trials and how they allow us to challenge our preconceptions. Well, Some of the most interesting chapters, I think, are about uh, uh, things where we would assume one outcome. One great example is, uh, and maybe people have, have heard about this, maybe even people have done it themselves in their school years, A program by which young girls, young teenage girls, were given baby dolls that made noise and sometimes even wet themselves to take home so that they could see firsthand, if they became pregnant as teenagers, what a hassle it would be to have a baby squawking at you 24 hours a day. Now, surely that would put a girl off pregnancy. That was what everyone assumed. And so it was was run out in schools around the world, actually.
1: And it sounds so compelling, doesn't it? I mean, it's a complete pain if you have to take care of this simulated baby for a week. You'd think it would put any uh, young, young woman off uh, childbearing. Uh, but indeed, the result is the opposite. Uh, it increases uh, teen, teen births and turns out to be uh, the equivalent in social policy of uh, thalidomide, uh, something that should never have been rolled out that was doing active harm. Uh, but only... well, Why? Why? Why, does it, why does it do that? Well, for uh, for those who are on the margin of thinking thinking about uh, having a baby, I think it uh, it made them a little cluckier than they might otherwise have, uh, have have seemed. We can't be absolutely sure on the causal mechanism, but because we've got rigorous randomised trial, we can be sure about about the outcome.
0: Better put up teenage pregnancies rather than put them down.
1: Precisely. Despite <laughs> all the money that was spent and all the
0: effort making the dolls <laughs> and all of that,
1: They're absolutely right. And that then that's not something that uh, should cause us to hang our heads in shame. It could be. Sure it's a result that should be celebrated because we can then take those resources and put them into exploring what programs might be effective for reducing teenage births. Okay,
0: here's, a, here's another program which surely would work. It's celebrated in a 1974 documentary called Scared Straight. In this program... Kids who are on the edge of maybe going down into a life of crime are exposed to the most hardline, violent, awful criminals. Peter Fork is the narrator. These teenagers are going to prison. Nothing from arrest to rehabilitation has worked to stop them from breaking the law. So now at age 15, 16 and 17, they're going behind bars. Their sentence will be short, only three hours. But during that time, these juvenile offenders will come into direct confrontation with these hardened criminals. Together, they're serving nearly a thousand years. But the lifers are through taking lives. They're now saving them in a unique crime prevention program created and run by the convicts. Their goal is ambitious. Make juvenile delinquents go straight. Yeah, there you go. Peter Four Colombo, of course, uh, introducing this program, which is so compelling. It must work, mustn't it? You take these these would-be criminals, you show them how awful these really tough big criminals are, that's got to put them off. And so compelling was it. Again,
1: this was rolled out around the world. Absolutely. Scared Straight is a cracking yarn. The only problem is, at the same time as the documentary was winning an Oscar, a researcher by the name of James Finnecower was conducting the first randomised evaluation of Scared Straight. Uh, showing quite clearly that kids who went on the program were at a greater risk of offending than those who didn't. Uh, and one of the... uh, Again, how come? <laughs> well, one of the theories behind this is that uh, these kids had a vision of jail which was actually worse than what they saw when they went in. Uh, the researchers themselves might well have been scared by what was in jail, might well have been that some of the uh, kids went in there and thought, well... I was previously terrified, now I think uh, jail ain't so bad after all. Again, can't be absolutely sure on the causal mechanism, can be absolutely sure that Scared Straight was doing, doing harm. And the low-quality evaluations, Richard, were suggesting quite the opposite. Uh, when you didn't have a credible comparison group for your evaluation, you were getting evaluations which are suggesting Scared Straight could cut crime by up to half, but a rigorous randomised trial showed the truth. Scared straight was hurting kids. And the, the non-profit uh, Campbell Collaboration did another review of the evidence about a decade ago showing conclusively that scared straight was harming kids.
0: Enormously hard to kill off a compelling idea. That's a good example, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. We're storytelling creatures, Richard, and uh, you're a great expositor of that on this, uh, this program. But it's important that as well as the stories, we also look hard on the evidence. Uh, the alternative to high quality, high-quality evidence is uh, what they call the hippo, the highest-paid person's opinion. Uh, if we don't have evidence-based medicine, we have eminent based medicine, in which we look to whoever's got the greyest hair and do what they, do what they say. And we need to get in the habit of having a little bit more modesty about our ideas, uh, realising that whether it's in business, in medicine, in politics, in policy, uh, we mightn't be absolutely sure as to what works. We needn't lose our ideals. We can be passionate about achieving the, the goals we want to get to, higher living standards, uh, more, more equality, uh, longer, longer and healthier lives. But we should be modest and scientific and critical about how we get there.
0: Okay. The trouble about that, though, is if you've got a really decent idea, you want to roll it out to, to everybody. And one of the great examples of, of randomized trials is, is the Chicago experiments around early intervention into problem children. Uh, the guy won a Nobel Prize in the end for it. Really showed it every dollar spent early on can reduce imprisonment rates increase employment rates all those sorts of things 10 20 30 years on fantastic stuff but of course the setup is you've got to send half the kids to a really great government program supported by and also spend money on the parents the other the other kids you do nothing for
1: And they're they're real human beings. Absolutely. absolutely. But again, you've got to have in the back of your mind thalidomide, scared straight, uh, the the, the baby dolls, these interventions which sounded promising but didn't deliver the goods. Uh, James Heckman's work has shown that very disadvantaged children benefit from these high-impact programs. And indeed, there's a uh, a version of it being rolled out right now in West Heidelberg in Melbourne, uh, a randomised trial of high-quality early childhood services uh, providing... Uh, much, many more staff per child than you'd see in the typical early learning centre. Very highly qualified staff, and they're dealing with extremely disadvantaged children, most of whom have witnessed family uh, family violence and uh, uh, endured severe severe poverty. But the question is are those additional resources uh, going to ma- make enough of a difference to, to justify their, their deployment? And it's that goal which justifies for the researchers excluding half the kids from the from the program. Because, let's face it, they don't have the resources right now to serve every disadvantaged child in Australia.
0: So you might as well test it and see if it works. Andrew Lee is here talking about random randomnisters. There's a fascinating bit on misleading correlations. If you don't have randomised trial, you can... Fall for these randomized miscorrelations. One example you give in the book is just on the basis of stats alone, ice cream sales are correlated to shark deaths. That's a statistical truth, isn't
1: it? It certainly is. Uh, it's also true that uh, uh, if, you, uh, if you want to uh, uh, look for where the rich people are, you should go to the ski fields. But that doesn't necessarily mean that if you went skiing every weekend, you'd uh, increase your income.
0: Hmm. Uh, Most Nobel Prizes are won in countries which have high chocolate consumption.
1: But yet chomping Cadbury doesn't make you a genius. Uh, People with uh, higher shoe sizes tend to have higher IQs, but uh, if we put all our kindergartners in size 10 shoes, we wouldn't necessarily think we'd make them smarter.
0: Okay, because the causation is not what we think or what we assume it is. Presumably the ice cream shark death causation is about summer holidays, beaches, hot weather, etc.
1: Precisely. Uh, and this goes into uh, to all kinds of different, uh, d- different areas. Uh, so, for example, most people who are sick, who visit the doctor, uh, would have gotten better regardless. And so a naive comparison that says, how sick were you when you visit the doctor, how sick were you a week later, might misleadingly over-attribute the quality of the, of the doctor. Tossing a coin gives you a credible comparison group, and that's why if you want to get a new drug approved in the Pharmaceutical Benefits Register, you need a randomised trial. And that's why the world's smartest tech companies are rolling out randomized trials. Big data doesn't, uh, isn't an excuse for not running randomized trials. Google has some 15 exabytes of data, but they're still doing randomized trials because they know it's the only way of getting a credible counterfactual for the questions they want to answer. Well, a,
0: a final story in praise of randomized trials. You begin with scurvy. Let's end with scurvy. There's one bloke who doesn't set up a randomized trial. He just has a trial of one.
1: Indeed. So, uh, so this, is, this is poor old William Stark, who decided that he would experiment on himself to try and figure out uh, what, uh, what, what would work in terms of tackling scurvy. Uh, he started with a month on bread and water, then went through olive oil, milk, goose and beef. Uh, two months in, he got uh, scurvy and started going through butter, figs and veal. What, noting uh, the effect
0: on his body? Or noting or the effect it, yeah? on
1: his body, keeping a diary as, as, as he went. Um, he, uh, he was according to his diary contemplating adding fresh fruit and green vegetables to his uh, to his diet but he needed to go through bacon and cheese first uh, at the time when uh, uh, he he died uh, and uh, and at this stage uh, was, uh, was, so he died at the hands of his own experiment? He died at the, at the hands of his own experiment. An extraordinary uh, ex- example of a surgeon uh, wanting to make a, make a real difference but uh, being unable to read the evidence because James Lynn's study had been published 16 years early, earlier. So, uh, so William Stark is a great testament to the strength of character it requires to experiment on yourself, but also a reminder it doesn't hurt to read the literature first.
0: Okay, and proof of the old breakfasting rule, which is always have your orange juice before your bacon. (laughs) Andrew Lee, thank you very much
1: Uh, there's Andrew
0: Lee, uh, his new book it's a fascinating excursion into science and how randomised trials have created a lot of the things that we all use every day, a lot of the things that have made life better, but also have disproved some of the ideas which seem so obvious, why would you need to test them but you certainly did